Here at Doxedo Hatfield, we are a family on mission. Make sure to get connected by joining us at one of our Sunday services. We hope you enjoyed today's message. The street I grew up on ended in the woods. Most days during the summer, my friends and I would explore from sunup to sundown. We'd make forts, or we'd build rafts and try to navigate the creek that wound through the trees. But other times, I'd wander off by myself. That was something I always admired about the trees. Their aloneness. It felt like they knew something that I didn't, some wisdom about how to be solitary, how to be strong in and of oneself. Sometimes I'd look up into the branches, and as the wind rustled through the leaves, I'd imagine that the trees were whispering some of that wisdom to me. I recently learned that I wasn't too far off. You see, trees do talk. It's just not to us. If a tree comes under attack, if it's being eaten away by a pest of some kind, the tree can release toxins into the leaves. And that process gives off a smell. And that smell travels from the tips of its branches to the tips of the branches of the neighboring trees, warning them to start making the same toxins. The trees use their outstretched branches to tell one another when they're under attack. But another way trees talk is through the ground. Underground, the roots are spreading, searching, and intertwining with all of the roots of all the other trees. And this creates a network by which they can exchange all kinds of things, a kind of woodland worldwide web. When a tree isn't getting what it needs to thrive, when it can't find the nutrients, the sugars, the water that keep it alive, it can send out a distress call to the community, a cry for help. And oftentimes, the surrounding trees will come to the rescue. They'll take any extra they have, dip into their reserves, and they'll send those reserves down through their roots to the tree that needs it. All along, I'd thought of trees as these solid and secluded things. These things that are just fine with isolation. Things that were even in competition with one another for nutrients and light and all the rest. And I'd admired them for it. For their resilience. For their solitary strength. But I was wrong. I'd missed that all along, they'd been strong because of one another. Wow. I don't know about you, but when I first saw this video, it hit me right in the feels. Why? Because I can relate to it. I was agonizing for so long about how I can start this message with a funny little anecdote and I scoured the internet for memes. I, I looked for relationship stories. But ultimately... I hope you guys will indulge me, but I decided to just be honest. This season has been hard for me relationally. You see, I'm someone that needs people. I mean, man, I love my wife and she's incredible and she's smart and she's funny and she is smoking hot. But after a couple of weeks of lockdown, I found myself going to the shops just so that I could see other human beings to be around them, to smile at them, under my mask, of course, social distancing, 
and show them some kindness. For many of us, we found ourselves isolating not only physically but emotionally as well. And we retreated into our relationship with our spouse or our fridge or Netflix or with no one at all. And for so many of us, we communicated less and less with those outside of our inner circle as Zoom fatigue set in. And and why did we do this? Why did we retreat within ourselves? And I, I think it's just because we all discovered something during lockdown. We've been made for real life-giving relationships with people. And Zoom can never replace what we have here today. Show of hands, who of you here prefers doing church and community group via their laptop? Anyone? No? What a shocker. I have got here in my pocket 100 smackaroos, and I will give them to the first person that makes it up here. 100 rand. Anyone? Anyone? Ah, Jason. Yes, we have a lucky winner. And uh, here you go. Oh, Jace, you look a little bit disappointed. Why is that? Uh... Oh, 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 no, this isn't a real 100 Rand note. It's it's one I made myself. Surely that's fine. Um, yeah. How, how do you know it's not real? Because you've experienced the real thing. Once I've had 100 Rand in my hand and I can go spend it and I can get stuff for that 100 Rand, it, it's an experience that will never be replaced by being given a off-color piece of paper with a really bad Mandela drawing on it and, uh, and, and that I can do nothing with. And that's what community is. Once you've experienced real life-giving community, no facsimile, no copy will ever do. But maybe like the guy in the video, some of us pride ourselves on being loners that need no one, or we've been taught that needing others is a crutch. Or maybe for some of us, we believe a different lie, that God is all we need, even though he tells us we need relationships with others. If I have him, I need no one. Please hear my heart as I say this is a lie because our God is a God of relationships, so much so that he exists in relationship with himself. The triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all relating to one another and to us. And God did not just create us for relationship with himself, but also for relationship with one another. This is evident as we hear in the greatest commandment in Matthew 22, Jesus commanding us to love without everything, but also to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And Jesus, the example of how God wants us to live, lived in close relationship with people. He loved them. He cried with them. He rejoiced with them and he relied on them and he calls us to do the same. And there's such a richness that comes from living in community with others that we can find nowhere else. We see a glimpse of this in the Garden of Gethsemane as Jesus goes to pray. He takes three of the disciples with him and he's filled with anxiety for what is to come as he heads to the cross to be crucified. And if, if Jesus, being fully God, recognized that he needed friends in that moment, who are we to think that we don't need community as we walk through the valleys of life? And not only that, but even if we feel we don't need community, what if the community needs us? 
one of the buzzwords of 2020 was this term self-care. And don't get me wrong, I believe self-care is incredibly important. And I'm constantly encouraging people to rest and look after themselves. But I also believe that there's a line we sometimes cross where self-care becomes selfishness. When we care so much for ourselves that no one else matters, when we forget that we were created to enrich the lives of those around us, that is a problem. You see, the best self-care that can possibly happen happens when we love ourselves so that we can be the best us for the sake of the world, for the sake of others. The best self-care is self-care with a purpose tied to a mission. I'll say that again. The best self-care is self-care with a purpose tied to a mission. And just like self-care taken too far is a problem, thinking too little of ourselves is also a problem. Maybe the enemy has us believing that what you feel and what you need doesn't matter, that no one loves you, that no one cares about your hurts and that you're unworthy of quality, God-ordained relationships. And sometimes one of the most powerful ways we can serve others is to allow them to walk a road with us through our pain. Not only are they able to serve God by doing so, but we're better for it. God never intended for us to become hollowed out, broken, burnt, and rotting trees. No good to him or to those around us. When we heal, when we allow others to support us as we walk out of pain and into wholeness, the body becomes stronger. We need people and people need us. So let's turn to Colossians and take some stock, shall we? This whole term, taking stock, is such a funny one because for some people, they've never taken stock in their lives. But but maybe for some of you, raise a hand if you've ever had to take stock and you've had to actually go count, um, you know, in a store, what stock is missing, what's not there, what is there. But the funny thing about taking stock is that it shows us what's been stolen from us. It shows us what's been taken and it shows us where we can start fresh from. So in this letter to the church in Colossae, um, we see Paul addressing a few things. He addresses with them the falsehoods that they've been tempted to believe. Um, one of these being polytheism, which is essentially that they were integrating other beliefs into their brand of Christianity. But what he encourages them to do most is don't dilute this Christian life, this Christian living with other things, but live out your new identity in Christ fully here and now and throw off all those falsehoods and allow Christ to empower you to live as he's calling you to live. It's at this point that we pick up in chapter 3, verse 12 to 15 in a passage entitled The Christian Life. And it reads as follows. Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a grievance against another. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity, and let the peace of Christ, to which you were also called in one body, rule your hearts. This passage reveals to us what healthy Christian relationships look like. Compassionate, kind, gentle, humble, patient, forgiving, and loving. So can I pray for us at this point? And no, we're not ending yet. Um, but it's just a prayer for the Holy Spirit to come and reveal to us, which of these areas do we need to work on? 
So, Lord, we come to you this morning, and, and I just want to ask, God, that you would come and work in our hearts. Would you come and reveal to us as we just speak through these concepts of compassion and kindness and gentleness, humility, patience. As we speak through these areas, would you come and would you reveal which of these aspects we can work on in our relationships? And secondly, God, can we ask you if there's a specific relationship this aspect brings to mind, would you, would you show us where we need to go do work or address it or where we can pray for that relationship, Lord? Please come and speak to us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So the place we start is that first, first term, compassion. So healthy relationships are compassionate. So there's the story in Matthew 9, and it's from verse 35 to 36, and it reads as follows. It says, Jesus continued going around to all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and every sickness. And then it comes and it says, when he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dejected like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus goes around the towns and the villages and he's teaching and he's healing. And it says when he sees the crowd. His heart is moved with compassion. This is a posture reality, friends. The question we have to ask ourselves is, do we see people? I mean, really see people. Do we see every person as someone deserving of love? Because this life is crazy and hectic and we get so sucked into our day-to-day -day that we stop seeing people. And I don't just mean the people in your day-to-day -day that you know and love. I mean the people you don't understand. The people who don't look and think like you do. Those who are hard or complicated to love, even your enemy. Jesus looks at the crowd and he looks past the exterior of the person and he looks to the heart and he sees their pain and their need and their potential. He sees the destiny that God has in his heart for each and every person in that crowd. And he's deeply moved. So my question to us is, are we compassionate? Do we see people? The second mark of a healthy relationship that Paul reveals to us here is kindness. And really the word here, I hate the word kindness just because it's so fluffy. It's such a soft and fuzzy concept. So I looked it up in the Greek and the Greek word here is chrestos. And this word means fit for use or useful. I can be in your life, but I can still not bring any value to it. Or I can choose to be someone who encourages you, tells the truth when it's needed, brings value to your life because I'm in it. I've, I've got an overwhelming number of superficial relationships in my life, the high by kind of relationship. And don't get me wrong, some relationships will always be those kinds of relationships. And unless Jesus tells me to, I'm never going to ask my dental hygienist about the deep mysteries buried within our heart. But if all my relationships look this way, I've got to start asking myself, why? What am I afraid of? Am I afraid to open myself up to others? Have I been hurt? Or do I believe the lie that I'm not worth knowing? There's something beautiful that happens when we become vulnerable before God and one another in this place. As community groups share their hearts with one another and truly hear one another, we sharpen one another. We do this by showing genuine care for one another, building each other up and enjoying life together. Thirdly, Paul says that healthy relationships are humble. 
Philippians 2 verse 3 to 4 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not only to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. Let's be honest. As I consider my behavior during this past season, I have to say that there were moments when God was calling me to consider others over my own selfish interests, and I didn't. It was very hard for me not to cocoon in my home and shy away from community. But somebody shared an interesting statement with me the other day, and they said, the higher our level of self-focus, the lower our level of intimacy. And this is exactly what I experienced in this past season. I've got a selfish heart. And if I don't submit that heart to God, I'll always choose myself over other people. So where would you rate on the self-focus intimacy scale? Before moving on, let me just say this. Humility does not negate your own worth. You are incredible and worthy. You are someone every other person in this room can learn from, benefit from, give love to, grow with and do life with. Humility is not about saying you are worthless. It's about saying you have worth. But so does every other person in this room. And it's about asking how can I enrich their lives and how can they enrich mine? Fourthly, Healthy relationships are gentle. Maya and I were watching a sitcom the other night, and in this one episode, this couple are having a, a fight, and it's quite funny. Um, it's their first fight, and the guy comes to the girl and says, well, I guess this means our relationship is over. And the girl laughs at him and says, don't be silly. If you break up every time you have a fight in a relationship, your relationships won't last very long, only to realize that the guy has never had a long-term relationship. Relationships, good Quality relationships will ultimately always have some conflict in them. But it's how we handle the conflict and the confrontation that will determine whether the relationship ends or whether it actually ends up making the relationship stronger. There's this beautiful story in John 4 of Jesus' interaction with a Samaritan woman. And Jesus meets her and he speaks to her and he lovingly confronts her. And he's both truthful and gentle. I was deeply disappointed by relationships during this lockdown period, and I undoubtedly disappointed others with how I handled myself in relationship. The question is, how do we handle disagreements in this body? Do we bury them? Do we go moan to someone? Do we gossip? Do we get angry or bitter? Do we quickly sort it out with the other person? True gentleness, truth tempered by love, has the capacity to rebuild and to restore. The fifth point that Paul makes is he says healthy relationships are patient. This means bearing one another's burdens and realizing we don't have it all figured out. Maya and I have third-hand couches at home, and they've had two homes before coming into ours, and I've had them for about 13 or so years, and they had holes in them. The fabric was torn, the feet were missing, and one of the armrests had broken off. And, uh, and recently we made the decision to have them covered. And why? Because we love the shape and the look of them. But then we had a few choices to make. We chose our material, but then came the big question. Do we want spill-resistant coating on the material or not? It's more expensive, but we could choose to think that no one will ever spill anything on our new couches, or we could spill-proof our couches. Sometimes the best thing we can do as we form relationships is to accept that spills will happen. That's what bearing with one another means. 
Often our expectation will determine our response. Am I expecting people in this church to be perfect? Am I expecting them to never make a mistake or to hurt me? I hope not. Because in this space, we will spill. But we will address it in love. We'll bear with one another and we will gently address it. Because that is what family does. Sixthly, healthy relationships forgive. This goes hand in hand with point five. It's one thing to be patient with someone. It's another thing to live our lives as lightly as possible and with as little luggage as possible. 1 John 4 verse 20 says, Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they've not seen. We cannot claim to love God and harbor hatred in our heart towards others. God wants all of us every part. And ultimately, we will have to allow him to come and heal even the most painful parts of our lives. I say this to you today as someone who's currently not speaking to his brother. We had some things to work through. I've had to forgive some things that have happened. And I've reached out and I'm trusting God for a reconciliation in our relationship. Forgiving does not mean that the other person has to respond or even behave in a certain way but it means setting ourselves free from the prison of holding on to the hurt, the bitterness, and the anger that holds us hostage. For now, I can pray, but my responsibility in this is this. Number one, I need to submit my unforgiveness to God. Number two, I need to stop waiting for the other person to bridge the gap or make the first move or even for them to change. Number three, I can pray for those who've hurt me. And number four, I can reconcile as far as I am able. I just felt at this point, it's very important to say it is possible for me to forgive someone, but at the same time, no longer be in a relationship with them. We're not called to stay in abusive relationships with people who don't respect healthy boundaries, but these decisions should be made with God and in counsel with other believers we know and trust. We're not always the best judges of what constitutes a healthy boundary. Finally, friends, healthy relationships have Christ at the center. I cannot do any of these things we've just spoken about without Jesus. I started by saying God is a God of relationships. So why would I propose to think I can make a relationship work without him in it? When I invite God in to become a part of how I love my wife, my family, my friends, my neighbor, the stranger, and every other believer in this church, then I truly start to live in the fullness of relationship that God has invited me into. So as we conclude this morning, I'd like us to watch the end of that clip we started with. And as you do, I want you to ask yourself some questions. Have I been keeping my heart from the other people in this room, from my community group, from the other people in my life? Have I robbed them of the joy of knowing all of me, of loving me, of doing life with me? Have I robbed myself of the richness of life done in community, of life lived in the way Jesus intended all along? And friends, if the answer is yes to any of these, will you commit with me to do something about it in the coming week? Let's watch that clip together. I think that for a lot of us, somewhere along the way, we learn to idealize a solitary kind of strength, believing that showing weakness is weak, 
that admitting need is needy, that to share deeply will somehow deplete us. But in our recent season of isolation, I feel like a lot of us are discovering that what we've idealized all along isn't true. We are not better off alone. I've had some days recently when it has felt like I have been under attack, when it feels like bad news is eating away at me. And it's when I've reached out, when I've passed on what I'm experiencing and feeling and learning that I've found the strength to be able to combat it. Last week, it felt like my soul was planted in barren soil. Like no matter how deep down I dug, there just wasn't the stuff down there to draw life from. And then I had a phone conversation with a friend who began to share with me a little bit about what God was teaching them, the things that they were soaking up. And that gave life to my faith again. It gave me the things that I was lacking. I've also had these moments of abundance, these moments when I've become aware of just how much I have and how much I have to give and not just things. Because I'm learning more and more that the more deeply I give love to the people around me, the more abundant it becomes. We are stronger together. We are stronger when we are reaching toward one another. And when we do, we all grow. And when we grow, we're all able to reach a little higher toward the light.